Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also sow bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. When you love someone, you try to figure out what makes them tick. When you love somebody, you want to know how they think. You want to know what they desire. You care about what delights them because you want to bring delight to them. What is that person longing for? What are they looking for? This morning, God is telling us what he longs for. He is telling us what he desires. God is telling you and me what he loves And today, if you've responded to his love for you, if you have a love for God, you're paying close attention because you saw, without a shadow of a doubt, his word states, number one, that God loves a cheerful giver. In this case, we're the givers. He's the ultimate giver. But in this verse, he is looking for givers who are doing it cheerfully, with gladness. God is showing us his heart. Now stop for a second because we're a bit self-centered sometimes, a lot of the times. Do you love a cheerful giver? Hypothetical situation, but I think you'll be able to identify. If I said to Michelle, we're going to go on your dream vacation. We're going to take off. We're going to go to Hawaii. We're going to lay on the beach. We're going to do some surfing, some snorkeling. We're going to eat healthy food and just relax in Hawaii. But my heart's really not in it. I would rather not go. I'm going to go because I love you. But as far as what I want, I'd rather go to Saskatchewan and hunt ducks. And even though I'll be there with you, I want you to know that I'm not going to be thinking about the ocean. I'm going to be thinking about the fields and the ponds. That's where my heart is. But I'm I'm giving to you. Would that change the nature of that gift? Would it damper the gift to some extent. She might just think, at first, this is wonderful, but then later on she'd think, maybe I'll just go to Hawaii by myself, right? (laughs) So do you see how the giving is a lot more about the heart of the giver? That changes the meaning of the gift in a massive way. If you can put yourself in that context about receiving, look at how much it has to do with the heart of the giver. Now, most people would not state their discontentment in the way that I did, right? Most people. Now, you might say my spouse would, okay, grudgingly, right? They they might try to bring it up, well, well, this is kind of your thing. But how many people would put it as forthrightly as I did about Saskatchewan compared to Hawaii? Not many people. But God sees your thoughts. He knows your heart. So even when you don't say out loud, even when you don't speak out loud of your grudging giving or of your discontentment or of the fact that you're giving under compulsion, he knows. He sees our hearts, our thoughts. It's very possible to give and be full of reluctance inside. Isn't that true? And this part of the Bible is speaking about a financial gift that was given from one church to another. But your life in general as one who gives, you give your time, your energy, your, of your wealth. You give your very heart. You give your love. It can be given in a way that's reluctant. Well, God, 
I guess you're worth it. I'd rather be spending my money someplace else. And you know that, God, but I'm going to give it to you because your omnipotence needs a boost. Because I know how important this is to you, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. It sounds so silly. But that's what it's like when we give to the kingdom grudgingly. We're not fooling God. And we're clearly going against what he loves. God says, once again, the first point, that he loves a cheerful giver. So the heart is we get to give to him. And think about this. Isn't it beyond our comprehension how we could bless God? When you think about the gap between who he is, how awesome he is, and who we are, it's just a mystery that we can even bless him at all, that we can even give to him something of value in his eyes at all, right? That the redeeming, almighty God of the universe can be blessed by our measly gifts. Again, a little bit hypothetical, but probably realistic for some of you. If you have anybody in your life that you love, and it's hard to think of a present for them because they have everything you can think of. They're they're well-to-do. They they could buy for themselves almost anything that they want. They could buy for themselves anything that you could possibly afford for them. Are you with me? And you're thinking to yourself, how could I I bless that person already? How is that going to work? What's the answer? Well, the answer is that your heart has to enter into the gift, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Give a piece of yourself away, right? Well-timed amen. (laughs) Because when you're in the gift, when your heart is in the gift, doesn't that make all the difference to that person that you perceive as being too wealthy to bless, too great to bless? They have everything that they need. No, what they want is your heart, a piece of yourself, all of yourself. That's a glimpse into the heart of God. So here today, I know you've been told differently, but if you're still with me, God does not need your gifts. God is a lot more well-off than your most well-off loved one, right? He doesn't need your resources. He doesn't need your expertise. But the Bible still says that he loves the cheerful giver. So the focus is not first and foremost on the gift, but it's on us and the condition of our hearts. The opposite of cheerful giving, what does it say in the the Bible? What is that? It's grudging or of necessity, reluctant, under compulsion. So the statement, I need to, that speaks of necessity. It's something that I have to do. I need to go to work. We say that. I need to go on a diet. I need to eat my vegetables. I need to do my taxes. Probably for most of us, Those are like, I I better do this. I'm doing it grudgingly. I'm not looking forward to it. Out of necessity, that's what it means in your Bible. But what if I said, you know, I have to go on my honeymoon. (laughs) Or I I have to go hunt X5C. A, B, or C. That just doesn't fit. Or I have to go to pyramid lake this weekend and fish i'm trying to get into your world somehow that's not the way it comes out of your your mouth right like we're leaving on our honeymoon i'm 
I'm going to be hunting next zone this season. You don't say I'd have to. You say, I get to. Let that reflect your heart of giving to God because your words betray you. Out of the abundance of your, your heart, your mouth speaks. So sometimes we're, we're basically deferring to somebody and we say, well, you know, I need to go to church. And you're saying, you know, I, what does that illustrate to that person? Oh, I need, to, I need to clean the church. I need to teach. I need to give. I, I need to be there. Instead of, is your heart really, you know, I get to be at church tomorrow, but let's do something tomorrow afternoon. What do your words say about your heart to God? In your giving, let God fix your heart and let that reflect your speech. I get to be a part of what God is doing. He's meeting needs, and I get to participate in that. I get to know him better. I get to be used by him. Is there any doubt, as you look at God's word, that's, that that's what he's looking for? He's not first and foremost looking for your thousands of dollars or your thousands of hours. He wants the cheerful giver. You're the giver in this case. Quote from Arthur's Bible teaching a couple days ago, God burns up our wrongful-hearted service. So we get the delightful side here where God says, I love the cheerful giver. But it's also true in the word of God that when we do things with a wrong heart, they'll come that day of judgment and, and God's going to say, all that that you did in false pretense, all that you did with a false motive, it's all consumed. There'll be no reward for that. So look at the double-edged sword of the word of God. Come and please me. Because works that are done, gifts that are given without your heart in there are going to be consumed anyways. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I see here that God gives back more than you give. So first of all, he loves a cheerful giver, but the Bible is saying to you and to me that he gives to us more than we give to him. Maybe you don't believe that today. But it's in verse 6 and it's in verse 8. So since the context is about a monetary gift, even a financial gift from one church to another, look, there is a financial gift and sometimes there is a diverse return. Because look what the Bible says, all sufficiency in all things. That means as we give to God with a cheerful heart, he fulfills our needs, our sufficiency in every single area. Not just monetarily, not just financially, but God meets our needs. When we give with a cheerful heart, we have a richness of relationship. We have a richness of peace a richness of opportunity, a richness of worship, and even as the word says here, a richness of good deeds because we've opened our heart to the Lord and given to him. He gives us this full return, this abundance. That's why the word says all things. It means just what it says. Go back to verse six. There's the farming analogy. I'll read it again. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What is the sowing in that verse? It's your giving to the kingdom of God. What is the reaping in that verse? It's what God gives back to you bountifully because you've given to him with a cheerful heart. If you have been sparing with sowing, there is no mystery to why you have not been harvesting 
very much. If you've been bountiful in your sowing, there's no mystery as to why you are bountifully blessed in so many ways. Isn't that what the Bible's saying? When we're stingy, when our hearts aren't there, we're given, but it's under compulsion, and we're not given at all because our grudging has just gotten in the way, our lives truly are not abundant in so many things. That all-sufficiency is not there, is it? I can testify to you that God has given me way, way more than I have given him. Yes, yes, I've given. Yes, I've served. Yes, I've spent. But how does that compare to what God has given to me? Sometimes people say in their teaching, you cannot give God. Now, I think that needs to be qualified with the nature of the giving and the receiving, but it is true. For what I've given to God, how much more has he given to me? Isn't that true of your life? Now, many times the financial we can really see. So in this case, the church in Corinth giving to the church in Jerusalem. I'm just going to speak to us about us as a body of believers. We would be so foolish, foolish, foolish to think that we have so much just because of our good investment strategies or just because of our prudent decisions. Yes, we have applied biblical principles in many cases, staying out of debt, not being frivolous, being patient. But can we credit ourselves for our abundance and say, look at all we have because we've been so prudent. We've been so good with what God has given to us. You know who the ultimate financial advisor is? Is the Lord. And he has blessed us as a church. And since I don't know what you give, I told you that last week, he has blessed me so much. And I'm not just speaking as though it's something small, relationally or with opportunities or with worship. He's blessed me so much financially that people might look and say, like, man, he must be just really sharp. He must be really smart. Well, maybe Michelle's the mind behind the madness. How in the world does that work? Because God blesses abundantly. In my family, I don't know how many times Michelle and I have looked at each other and said, wow, I, I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe that deal just happened the way that it did. And you look back and you know that it was because of him, because of his timing. The Lord giving back more than you could ever give. Now, believers that are blessed materially, and they are generous. Do you think in terms of, well, they were generous for, um, first and then the Lord blessed them? Or do you think, well, the reason they're so generous is because God has given them so much. If I had so much, I'd be a giver also. Be careful with the way that you think. You don't have to get specific, but ask some of those people that you think have a lot. Did, did you give when you didn't have that much? Was, was God a priority in your life? Now, there is such thing as the prosperity of the wicked, and some would say, actually, I was pretty wicked, and I was pretty prosperous. God got a hold of my heart, and he taught me how to give. But you also find that with many believers that they were generous, and God has been generous to them, and it hasn't changed. I remember getting my, this is quite a long time, it was $1,400 a month, right? And I was like, whoo, I'm rich, right? <laughs> And I look at that, and I'm like, boy, I don't know what I'd do. 
might be able to keep the PG&E on and some food. That's about it, right? The way we eat. It's the Lord has blessed abundantly. And many times that exercise of a cheerful heart giving to the Lord and to his work is their way before the abundance pours in. God gives back more than you can give. Now look at verse 10, if you would. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, who is that? He, capital H, that's the Lord, supplies seed to the sower. In this case, not the sower and the seed necessarily, but that's you, that's me. The seed is God's word. He gives us his word, and then we are broadcasting it. We are putting it out there. We're investing it in people's lives. And bread for food, what does that speak of? That's spiritual food for our lives. You don't go without food each day physically. Don't go without spiritual food each day. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Look, the Lord is the supplier, isn't he? He gives the seed. I'm so thankful I don't have to come up with what we're going to learn about. It's right there in his word. The word we're planting. He supplies that eternal nourishment, that forever food. But look also, this verse is teaching us that God is the multiplier. We can't make seeds grow. We can't create seeds. That whole process is the power and the creativity of God, isn't it? He's the Lord of the harvest. He gives the increase. So just as you understand that you can't make a seed and then plant it and make it grow, you need the Lord to work his power in order for that to happen. So it is so with our gifts to him. So it is so with the way that we cast or broadcast the word of God. Years ago, we don't do it anymore. Maybe someday we will again. Michelle and I and our family, we got really into having a big garden. I knew very little about it. Didn't have a lot of faith when we first thought it. I was like, you know, I just don't know if we can really grow very much. Is it going to be worth it? But we had a few friends, and they had bountiful gardens. So we started off and said, okay, have a little bit of faith and a lot of labor. And with that labor, with what we put in, in those years, it was just amazing how much food would grow, especially when you consider how small the seeds were and how much was left over that we couldn't even eat before it would spoil a ton. And we're not even good at this, but God was doing that miracle. Corn and peppers and tomatoes and cantaloupe. And we weren't that good. I remember at asparagus, because you have to wait a long time for that, I think. You bury it and all that stuff. Or we actually weren't that good at strawberries either. But a lot of it just grew bountifully. But we worked amending the soil, getting all the weeds out, building the cages and the trellises and 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 harvesting and fertilizing and all that stuff. And I think about this. Our favorite watermelons were the Jubilee watermelons. And the year after, we would go through and save all the seeds. Yes, they actually have seeds in the watermelons. To me, they taste better than ones without seeds. Maybe I'm mental, but we'd save the seeds from the Jubilee watermelon. And I was thinking, just that one seed produced that massive melon, 25 or 30 pounds. And then that seed is... That melon is full of seeds. And then the next year you go back and you plant all those. That's the multiplication process that God is describing here, isn't it? 
that God is the one who gives the increase, that he gives back more than you could ever give, that you are faithful to sow with a cheerful heart, giving to the work of righteousness, and then he gives the increase. Now, let's go back to verse 9. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So the word is telling you, and I'm telling you, that you have the opportunity to make eternal investments, to put your energy, and yes, even your finances, into something that will last forever, the righteous reign of Jesus Christ. Changed lives, saved souls forever. That's what you and I have before us. I wish we could see all the salvations, all the conversations, all the growth, all the witness. And the more we're a part of of the church, the more a part of, of God's people, we get to see how God is multiplying the work that he is doing. And I wish we could see more, because when we get a glimpse of it, God is asking me and he's asking you, are you storing up treasures in heaven? Or are you really storing up mostly just stuff that's going to rot, stuff that's going to deteriorate? Listen to the Lord. What he desires is really, really clear. Let us have that kind of clarity in our actions. And reflecting on what we just saw before this teaching and this past week up at camp, I want you to pray for some of the teenagers specifically, because right now, there are some of them who are, God is doing something amazing in them. He is drawing them in and they're responding. They want to be near to him. They want to live for him. They want to take the next step. And some of them are in households where the parents are discouraging them. They're not for them in their walk with God. When they step out and say, I want to live for the Lord more, it's always later, some other time. It's not a priority to that parent. What a precious gift to have a kid who cares for the Lord and things that last forever. I mean, just look at the change in their lives. And to think that some of them are going through that, like, I want to grow. We can bemoan this generation all we want and rip on it and say, look, look, the young people are just sick. They're weird. They're lazy. They're entitled. But look, when we have young people before us that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, oh, Lord, what better could we have come from our kids? What more could we desire? I mean, let's be honest. If they got super rich because they were so successful and they were so impressive, their intellect or their talent or whatever it is, they were just beautiful and, and in every way, but they didn't walk with. We don't want them to miss out on anything. So we run around and we all this stuff and we fill our lives with a whole lot of stuff that isn't being used. And they have the desire to do so. So pray for them. That, that's got to be a really hard place to be. There's an investment that lasts forever in those hearts. It starts when God desires it to start. He does the work. Now, in regards to this giving, I want you to see that Paul is penning this book, and 
he is there with Timothy, and they're sending Titus. You have this group of men, these leaders for the Lord, and they are an example for how the church should be motivated to give, aren't they? They're explaining, this is the heart of God. This is what he wants. This is what he's like. Yes, you should give. It's a wonderful privilege. You're making an eternal, an eternal investment. But look, are they manipulating the church? Third point, God's servants don't manipulate his people. You don't see this guilt-ridden giving going on. Self-servants, servants of self, manipulate the church. And people get hoodwinked into all kinds of stuff. And that's not God's way, that's man's way. God's servants don't manipulate the church. How often have you heard this? This ministry could not continue without your generous contributions. Wrong. It's God's work, and it will continue without your support if it's his work. Isn't that true? So why do we allow that? It's completely unbiblical, isn't it? It could not continue without your generous contributions. Or how about this? Your generous support makes this ministry possible. Actually, God makes all things possible. And we're privileged. When those kind of things are said, and the thing is, is those are carefully chosen words that are put out by so-called leaders. They're written out and thought out ahead of time. Aren't we leaving someone out of the equation? God. You mean, it's, I'm making this work possible? What is that appealing to? Pride. Then flip it around the other way. This wouldn't be possible without your contribution. Now I'm, now I'm guilting you, right? So we might go under if you don't give. And we can't be built up if you don't give. The truth about God's word and what he's saying to us is, you and I get to give to the Lord, and that is an amazing privilege. Why don't they just say that? Well, because that wouldn't be guilt and manipulation and wouldn't produce as much money. That's the bottom line to them. Is there money? Self-servant. And I'm sad to say that many people who preach the word faithfully in other areas get to this part and they lose their minds. It's like, they just are like, this is the marketing technique. You can have twice as much money if you'll do this. I'd rather not have twice as much money and stay true to what God says in his word. That's what the Lord blesses. It's not a matter of ministry style. People have said that to me before. That's just your style. No, that's unbiblical. And I'll say it that forthrightly. That kind of appealing to pride, appealing to guilt, it's unbiblical. That's not what God is after. He's after your willing heart and that you would be in awe of the work that he's doing and that he uses what you bring to him, whether it's a little or a whole lot. Look at what it says in verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. So here's a fourth point. God builds up so others can benefit. You grow, yes, for your own good, but not just for your own good. You grow so that you can give to others. You see, when you first start to be built up, edified in the faith, you might think, this is great. I'm drawn near to God. He's given me peace when I never had it before. Even in the middle of my trial, he's holding me up. 
I hear his voice. I'm walking near to him. He's holding me up in my spirit. This is amazing. But then soon you'll realize God didn't do that work in you just for you to keep it to yourself. He built you up so that you could benefit others. Did he not? So you could be enriched. That's what it says. You are being enriched for all liberality. You were given to so that you can give away. You were edified so that you can edify others. So bubble sometime, you're like, man, I thought you loved me so much. Well, I do. But I didn't pour into you just so you could keep it all. I desire to pour into you so that you'll pour into others and that biblical multiplication process happens, right? The Jubilee watermelon. Yeah, you're an important little seed, but you're not of the utmost importance. The glory of God is, and that's how he works in people's lives. You are enriched to liberally give. And it's not like, Lord, you've given me this gift. You've given me so much. Okay, one for you, 99 for me. Look, I'm sharing. That's like siblings when you say, share this bag of chips. Okay, here's a chip for you. The rest of the bag is mine, right? That's the stingy heart. That's the grudging heart. And said, God, you've given me so much. I cannot deny it. But that building up is so others can benefit for all liberality right there in the middle of verse 11. Which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Your confession of the gospel of Christ. It's right there in the middle. The gospel is the good news. It does take work to get it out. And it's a good work. It does take time and effort. And it does even take money. But it's the best way to spend money to get the good news of the gospel out. Today, our world is bombarding people with this mentality that it's all about earning. And when it comes to you and God, it's not about you earning your way to him. It's about you receiving the free gift. The wages of sin is, I'm a sinner. Big time. And my wages, if I were to receive them, would rightly be death, eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The verse doesn't stop right there at the first half. But God gave me, and he's extending to you, a gift. Now, in order for it to be yours, you have to reach out and take it. But the gift of God is eternal life. And he's saying to me, and he's saying to you, here, take it. I'll forgive you if you'll believe that I paid for your sins at the cross and rose from the grave. That is good news. Some people think they don't need it because they haven't come face to face with their failings, with their depravity, with their sin. But God's word will make us stop and see like, no, I, 
I've fallen short. I've fallen way short. And then to be in awe that the God of the universe came to this earth to give his life to become the pardon for us. All of the work that we do, all of the efforts, all of the money that's spent, the thoughts, the, the anguish, it's for the cause of the gospel, that the Lord would save souls, and he does. And then once he saves you, he just changes your life like you could, you just didn't imagine before. He's inside you. Look at this good news. Thank God for it. They glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel. Glory to God that you have received that wonderful gift. Not glory to any person, but glory to God that he has saved you and changed you. That's there. It's open. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not just some people. Whoever will cry out to God and say, I'm yours. I believe in you. They'll be saved. They'll be brought into his family. And look, our final point I'm noticing is God deserves thanks for this multiplication. Do you see the thanksgiving in verse 11? Do you see it in verse 12? Do you see it in the final verse? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God, we thank you for what you did, for what you continue to do, for how you work beyond what we ever expected. You took one small seed in one single person, and now there's this surplus. Now it's been multiplied. Who will be next? My son and I, True, were having this conversation on the way home the other day, and he said it's weird to think that some of the people that we're such good friends with and we serve alongside, they're solid in the Lord, and, and we get to minister with them, to think that we didn't know them at one point. And we, they crossed our paths. And so many people cross our paths. They, they, they come into our lives and they come out and, and they never, there's not a closeness there. There's not a like-mindedness in the ministry necessarily. And they just never know when somebody's just going to come floating right on through. And you also never know when that person that you just met is going to become so close to you and you're going to serve the Lord together. And you just don't know. To think there's a time like when I didn't know some of you, but God knew what he was going to do in my life and in yours. And then he brings us together. Amazing. Diligent co-laborers for his name. That's who we want to be. But look at what it says here about God's grace. God's grace is ample. It's exceeding. When we say that God's grace is enough, because the word says his grace is sufficient for me. We're not just saying, Lord, you've given me like barely enough. Like you've just kept me just. No, we're saying that it is bountiful. We're saying that your grace meets my every need. You're changing me. You're working in me. Look at what it speaks of there in verse 14. Because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Ample, sufficient, enough. I see the grace of God in you. That's what Paul is saying, isn't he? Do you see the grace of God in others? You know, when I'm a grudging giver, exactly what this passage warns against, I don't see the grace of God in people because I'm so focused on my grudge and my compulsion that I'm not seeing what God is doing. But as a cheerful giver, You'll see the grace of God alive in people's lives. 
and you can testify to them. Now, it's not alive in everybody's life. Some people are shrinking back. Some people are saying no. But seeing God work and change, yes, save, but then sanctify people. It says, I see the grace of God in you, exceeding grace of God in your life, multiplication. So if anybody ever comes to you and says, to have you in my life means so much for my walk in the Lord, the answer is thanks be to God, right? Not thanks be to me. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Because his multiplication process, his work, is alive in your life and in mine. Lord, when we complain, we're basically saying we don't have what we need. And the truth is, Jesus, that you gave me everything that I need. I just, I don't open my hands to receive and I don't open my hands to give sometimes. I don't open my heart. And your grace is exceeding, it's abundant. We don't deserve your favor, Lord. But you've given us way, way more than we have ever given you. You do it through your people. You do it by your spirit. You do it through your word. Lord, you are a God who truly blesses us. You give us sufficiency in all areas of our lives. I pray for any that are doubting right now and they're thinking, I just can't give because God's going to rip me off. I pray that you would just come in with your word and wash that out. I pray for anybody who's who's got that grudging giving starting in their life, that, that you bring them back to what delights you. Lord, we need this cleansing. We need these reminders that are so straightforward in your word. May we measure everything according to it and not according to the way people so often do things. Make us pure before you for your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.